Greetings, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host for this segment. Today, we are speaking with Dan Rockwell, CEO and co-founder of Big Kitty Labs. Dan leads this rapid prototyping digital agency based in Columbus, Ohio. The company was founded in 2009 after a series of events that led him to realize that building things should be easier and that prototypes provide a ready foundation. Building Big Kitty was an act largely for himself and his partner, Tashara Kokarni, to invent concepts, play with technologies, and do everything that most people weren't doing, building things fast. Running as a side business to begin with, Big Kitty served startups in the region looking for rapid innovation. This momentum opened the doors at Ohio State University, where Dan worked as program manager of the Software Prototyping Center at the Technology Commercialization Office. There he helped take numerous university ideas to market, launching several startups. Dan is an advocate for the innovation scene at Columbus. He helped for many tech-related events, such as Ignite Columbus, Wake Up Startup, and is a speaker for Startup Weekend and Give Back Hack across the state. The youngest of six and the son of an engineering professor at Ohio State, Dan never attended college, instead learning as he went. He has done everything from selling software and broadcasting video games to working in Japanese animation and now technology innovation. He's known for his loud laughs, ample mentoring time, futuristic thinking, and belief that anyone can change what happens next. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. For those in the audience who may not know anything about Big Kitty Labs, how do your services intersect with manufacturing needs? So I think the big thing to understand for manufacturing is just like any other business. They have operations. They have a product. Um, the nice thing about their business is it's pretty, once they figure it out, it's, they just, it's all very predictive. Like they understand what they're going to make. Um, so I work mostly in software uh, solutions. So I think anything that's in, say, process or operations organization, anything dealing with maybe HR or anything that's sort of a process that they have um, could be probably automized or, um, or done better through software, essentially. Um, so that's, that's kind of that's – that's the start of it. And then the second is to sort of maybe think about new ways to realize what um, – what opportunities they have they didn't realize. So a lot of it's kind of like go in and tell me about what your world like. That's half, half of my life is meeting people and saying, tell me your story. And then I help them see where technology could be applied to them from a software perspective. That really involves the ideation yes, part of it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's all ideation. Kind of understanding, it, do they have pain points? You know, a lot of them, they just have opportunities. They have opportunities that they didn't realize because technology has gotten so much better through machine learning, through geolocation, through mobile. Um, and I think a lot of these people, they actually have an idea in their head, but they just haven't met the right person to help realize it. So most of the time, I'm just trying to like seek out these, <laughs> these folks. But manufacturers, I think, probably have huge opportunities they don't really realize. Um, and they really need to kind of, you know, be exposed to more opportunities around mobile technology, especially machine learning right now and uh, AI. All that kind of stuff can really help their operations internally um, if they're open to it. And just it really depends on the manufacturer and what they're doing. Plus, there's sort of the new maker generation that's sort of being you know born around them. So, right. Yeah. When do they usually get stuck? I mean, there are other places that your industrial clients get stuck. Um, I say most times it's they probably get stuck in like people don't want to necessarily fix a process that works. <laughs> so if there's like a set process that works and and it may be born from like the 40s, they don't really want to change it regardless 
of what you know new opportunity may exist because there, there's probably a fear about eroding a profit margin that they really know and understand that's really predictable. But what they don't realize is that they are actually a target for disruption. Uh, and when we say disruption right now, we're saying, you know, the healthcare industry is being disrupted by technology. The insurance industry is being disrupted by technology. You know, e-commerce, manufacturing is actually next to be disrupted. And you're seeing that from 3D printing. You're seeing that from, um, you know, lots of different places. I think that sort of folks are sort of going after that. So the manufacturer really should be thinking about if they haven't changed their process in 30 years, they should think about what are we missing? Or, you know, what what opportunity we, do we not realize we may have here to sort of expand on our concept? And it doesn't have to be a cost center right away. It can just be pure ideation. It could be this opportunity just to rethink what the real, you know, what they print or what they make. Uh, it could be used in a different way, or it could actually, you know, be connected online. There's lots of opportunities I think that can happen there, but they have to be sort of open to that notion that there is actually a big target on their back. They just don't realize it. <laughs> As they're using the legacy systems and trying to fit yeah. that into the the new IoT, OT, IT convergence yeah, that are absolutely. coming down the pike. Absolutely. I mean, what's, what's interesting, too, is that there's, you know, they could have, let's say they have a warehouse. They don't use that much for optimization or utilization. What they don't realize is that warehouses are huge right now for co-working. Like they could probably cut their warehouse in half and sell it off to the highest bidder and make a co-working space out of it. They would never realize that. They would think it's maybe maybe it's not the right zone. But the, I guess what I'm trying to say is that manufacturing is getting smaller and getting more distributed in some ways. Um, but the you know the assets they have and the knowledge they have around that process is still really valuable. It just has to be looked at through a new lens. And that lens would be digital technology and sort of how the transformation of workforce, you know, culture is kind of happening. Where does the rapid prototyping yeah. fit in? So rapid prototyping is probably best to understand is to just think about an idea that they have and then basically build the simplest version of that um, and realize that, you know, I tell a lot of clients that my role is to help you build like a really bad bike with no seat, no steering. <laughs> And the idea is you put that in front of a customer, and the minute a person walks up to it and they say, like, I would love to ride this bike, but I need steering and a seat, then I, I won because they, they capture the mental model of how the – that's what the prototype's really role is, is to capture the mental model of how the user could perceive and how they could use it without you actually finishing it. If you finish the prototype completely, then you've taken – all the sort of magic that happens in someone's mind when they see something. You want them to have that magic inside them so that they realize it and then you co-create with them. And when you co-create with the user, you make a stronger product and better affinity with them. So rapid prototyping is really about, to me, it's, it's about getting that data, uh, new data, as fast as possible. And when I mean fast as possible, I mean in three days. <laughs> I mean, you can... You know, today people don't realize that you could draw on paper and capture on your phone and you could build a fake app that looks like an app, uh, you know, in less than three hours. Most people think that's crazy. It is crazy, but you can do it. Is it a real app? No. Does it still play the mental model of what, does it still convey a concept? Absolutely, it can. So, you know, for manufacturers, I think, you know, it's, it starts with the conversation of what they're doing, but they should realize that, that they can innovate fast if they get the mindset to do that. And they have to like not be perfect. Like perfect is the enemy of everything we do because it's nothing's perfect. You want to make as many decisions, good or bad, just to get new data. 
to uh, to really see where things could go. Someone I know says, don't let perfect get in the way of done. Oh, yeah. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. You worked at Ohio State managing and evaluating new technologies developed by faculty, staff, and students. You also, you also have worked in industry. Yep. Where's the grass greener? <laughs> um, there's good things and bad things there. So the you know the bad things about Ohio State and its sort of innovation quest is that it's bureaucracy. Um, so they can't always go as fast as they want to go, and universities don't create products. They don't create true innovation. They create foundational research principles that are the basis of things that go forward. Um, on the outside, you know, outside you can go a lot faster. Um, the one thing the university does have, though, however, I think is unique is that. Um, if you really believe you can, you can kind of can change things. Uh, that's what's fun about a university. It's filled with a lot of dreamy, you know, and also very serious academics. But there's always this ability to sort of wield magic if you can find it. Um, and they have the resources. So if you do get up, you know, on, on, if you get the right people, you can make things happen. On the outside, you know, it's you know, I'm, I'm no different than a manufacturer, except I make digital products, I make physical products. I have clients and demands and everything else. Um, I don't know if the grass is any, any necessarily greener. I'd say it, I like being fast. You know, it's, it, it was a struggle to be at a university and not be nearly as fast as I could be. So that's, that's always, you know, I hate watching a healthcare solution, you know, sit inside the university for three years when it could easily walked out, you know. So those, those are the kinds of things that I think you got the more the university embraces speed, the better, but it's a really big beast. <laughs> yeah. I've conducted a lot of focus groups with industry and there are a lot of myths about oh, what yeah. universities can or can't do. Yeah. Where are the real opportunities and barriers between industry and academia? Um, so the first one is really people. So it's mostly culture, people. You know, working at Ohio State, we, you know, we kind of were taught almost early on to sort of fear faculty in some ways. And that's a real problem. Um, and then, you know, faculty have a lot of power. Uh, you know, my father, you know, I used to go home to him and he would say, you know, how's the balloon works? That's what he called Ohio State sometimes. Um, and he would lecture me all the time. He said, you know, faculty, you know, you know, do control. They do. Getting faculty to realize their opportunity and, and not the intellectual property. That's the biggest misconception I have today. It's not intellectual property. It's what's their intellectual opportunity. It's what's the opportunity they have with a billion-dollar lab that does, you know, you know, nanofusion. What's the opportunity that they could realize? Um, and I think – I think if you can get the faculty, uh, and, and I found most of the startups that, that I built were actually based on staff. They were based on staff that actually had a problem, couldn't find a solution on the market, made a solution, and it served their needs. They didn't even realize they were sitting on opportunity until I kind of came into the picture um, and helped them not only see it, but then you know helped them actually get it out. So it starts with people, and then it really starts with I think working with as many ideas as possible, and then and stop thinking and just um, single thinking. Single thinking is not good. Work in portfolios. You know, you have all these different technologies around robotics. What can you do around that? You have a bunch of technologies around AR. What can you do around that? Here's a bunch of technologies that are all around, um, you know, polymers. What can we do with a bundle of tech versus looking at it as individuals? Um, and you know, there's no, there should be no egos. If you can, you know, innovation doesn't care 
about your ego. It doesn't care about your, um, you know, you. It's you, you think sometimes that you're muse. It's really you're, you're the other. It's the other way around. You're the muse of technology for the most part, because one way or another, technology is going to happen. It'll happen in your market or happen in another market. So. I always tell people that you know if they have an idea, I say, congrats, there's another 300 people within 500 miles of where you are right now who are working on the same idea. So what are we going to do to close the gap on that? You know, I think that's, uh, that's super true for universities. What's know? the magic? I mean, are the secret sauce? I mean, where have you yeah. seen where industry has been able to work particularly well with, with universities? Um, I think the best is understanding capability and collaboration. So, I mean, we see a lot of that in Columbus. I mean, we see things like Honda, and, um, and the bigger, the bigger the, um, like I, I used to walk across campus and I always think about what's happening in that building and what's happening in that building, kind of like, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity and understanding the range of capability the university has and then mapping it back to the manufacturers. And then, but making sure that you're just not showing that this is a, a center for possible innovation, but you're going to take out the red tape. That's the hard part. Universities are really hard at taking out the red tape because everybody wants a piece. And what they don't realize is the manufacturers like, look, I got five minutes. I'm going to give you five minutes, and I'm going to go talk to somebody else because I got a job I got to do. That's what business. Business is about the speed of business. Mm-hmm. University is sort of about here's our capability. So you got to take out that red tape. And I think the best way to do that is sort of fight for clarity. I remember telling somebody like, my job is to ask as many dumb questions as possible so I can reduce our future meetings. You know, <laughs> I was like, I want to get as many things on the table so I can cut through this tape. So. And both sides have to realize that. I think manufacturing has to sort of target better to the to the university. They have to know what they want, and they have to be really forward. Um, and I think at the same time, the university has to shop their capability around more um, and ask for the sale. You know, a lot of times, university won't do that. University will just sort of present and hope that somebody shows up. Uh, and sometimes you need people like me in the middle who'd be like, you know what, this technology can be applied to this business, and and that's a that's a huge space right there that you know the manufacturer's not thinking about or the university's not thinking about, uh, and part of that's just thinking about where innovation's going and and where venture's going and where consumers are going. So, someone who's firmly entrenched in the startup space yeah. here, uh, what about existing manufacturers who are engaged in? What is termed entrepreneurship yeah. you know, involves the same type of risk taking, yep. risk taking, same type of, of innovation. Yeah. How can you know they get into the space along with the newbies or the serial entrepreneurs? I think there's a huge opportunity for manufacturers to get involved more in entrepreneurship right now, mostly because they represent um, a system or process to build a set product or system, and they actually offer like context. Entrepreneurs are hungry for an engaging context to learn. And manufacturers sit on like a, a proven context of, of how something is made. You know, product comes in, we do XYZ to it, we make XYZ out. Um, they're, they're basically, every manufacturer is like a miniature incubator for innovative ideas. So they could open up their doors. You know, they sort, sometimes they open up their doors to students, and that happens now, but they could really open their doors to anybody. They could create their own sort of system of saying, okay, here are the assets. It's like SimCity. It's like, here are the assets. Tell me how, what would you do? You know? And they can propose that. And they can propose that in a really safe, in a way that protects their intellectual property, and in a way that really allows them to see 
30 to 100 new ideas a quarter that they don't that they didn't pay to do. They just, you know, they just offer the canvas to people. That's what software does to, to people like me. You know, open source software basically presents to me capability. You know, Google comes out with a brand new API to do machine learning. They give it away for free. Why? They want to see how the world innovates on it so they can see where the patterns are to go next. Manufacturers are the same way. They just don't realize how much actual intellectual opportunity they're sitting on that they could actually you know, give to somebody. And it's not in the sense that, that somebody could actually replicate their business. Because in the sense, if I'm going to replicate their business, I'd still need, what, four or five, maybe $10 million to do the facility. I'm not going to do that, right? But I could be inspired by them, and they get to help lead a new generation to think like how they've done. Um, and at the same time, see those improvements in their industry. So there's actually a huge opportunity that's probably not tapped at all that uh, we should tap. We should go figure that out. Yes, we should. All right. <laughs> Another opportunity is that manufacturers are increasingly increasingly moving into the service sector themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now that they have the tools, they have yep. the Internet of Things, They have. we, we already talked about OT and IT yep. convergence. We talked about yep. uh, ERP. All of that's becoming possible. Yep. Uh, do you have examples of how you're helping yep. clients take that leap into the new di- digital territory? So probably the best of case most recently um, – I would say is uh, it was a power washing company we worked with here in Columbus, and they had a fleet of about, I'd say, 300 trucks that go out in the field. And their process was very paper-driven at the time, a lot of their process. And they were using a third-party uh, software company, and they were actually giving away their intellectual property to somebody else to build a solution that then they would actually pay for <laughs> to use. And, you know, we heard the same sort of reasons why they did that. You know, they're not IT people, they're not software people, and they just want to get the job done. We were able to get there in time to help them realize that all the intellectual property they were telling somebody else, they were giving it away. So we helped them sort of protect their intellectual property. We actually helped them build a solution in-house. And then we sort of connected all their trucks through geolocational technologies. And then we gave them an app that would actually go out in the field so they could do compliance. So they can basically get a job, process a job, field a job, and do the compliance all in one systematic sort of loop. And it, you know, boosted their operations by 30%. And they're like, wow, this is like a whole new way of doing things. And those are the, those are the cases that I really – I think that's, that's happening more. Um, and I, I don't know if that will happen to somebody who just, you know, say, you know, presses metal all day long or makes fences or, or whatnot. But, but I think if your business – I think that manufacturers are going more service because they can see the opportunity for them to, to you know, reuse what their infrastructure is. Um, and I think when they do that, they should be thinking about mobile technology and about, you know, in a lot of ways they have to sort of capitalize on what they know. Um, and they should sort of put that in either a process that they can sell or advise or, you know, distribute. Um, and online, that's a huge thing to do right now where people, people will pay you for the knowledge that you had for 20 years or 30 years to press metal. You know, people will pay for that. So how can you distribute that? How can you make another set of, you know, streaming income that comes back into your business? I think there's a huge opportunity for software and, and really what I do in the digital innovation space to do that. A lot yeah. of low-hanging fruit, fruit out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Dan, it's so much fun talking with you. Thank yeah. you so much Thank for coming you. on the show. Thanks for having me.